Hi, welcome to another episode of the Purple and Bold podcast uh, from the Daily News Record, where we talk uh, James Madison sports. I'm Shane Metlin, here with Noah Fleischman. We're the JMU beat writers at the DNR, um, here to mostly today, I think almost exclusively today, talk some JMU football, because it's that time of year again for spring ball, pro days, lots of stuff going on. It's Wednesday, March 23rd, as we record this, which was JMU's pro day. Over, um, got started over at Bridge Forth this morning, moved indoors later on. Noah, you were there. Uh, so I guess just let you start with a recap. Who was there? Who was working out? Who was watching? How'd they do? Take me through pro day this morning. Yeah, I mean, it was well attended. They had over 20 NFL teams on, on site um, this morning. I guess started at Bridge Forth and ended up moving inside over at Centero Park. But I mean, they had 11 guys on the field from this past season's team, including Cole Johnson kind of leading the way there at quarterback. Um, they had some guys come in and catch for him. Overall, it was a great day. I mean, we saw some guys in the in the weight room with Mike Green and Liam Fordnell both lifting 27 reps there on the on the bench, which is I think would put Liam in the top five at the Combine if he was there and puts Mike in the top two just behind Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon. So good, good benching there. Uh, but we saw a vertical jump bench for the 40. We, we went to positional just after that, but Cole looked good. Um, everyone was happy with how he did in front of the scouts. And, uh, you know, the usual the usual pro day stuff with all the little testing before they went positional drills, but really well attended from the from the NFL scale side. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, we were joking earlier, it was a little difficult to list all the teams on Twitter when you were there this morning. Um, but I guess was any was there any franchises that stood out to you as far as, like, you know, how attentive they were, like who they were looking at, or just you know, um, you know, I got you from an NFL point point of view. Who 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 was there that kind of stood out to you as far as seeming to show a lot of interest in these JV guys? I mean, if you looked at it, like there's some scouts that took a little bit more of a lead on different drills than others, but I mean, like there was a scout from the Chicago Bears who's really really involved in pretty much almost every every drill they did, where there was testing high um, vertical jump or broad jump and things like that. Um, it looked like from what I saw, the San Diego Chargers scout was really in tune with Cole Johnson and as he was throwing and I think talked to him afterwards. So you guys saw a lot of that, but it's really, I'd say most teams pretty much watched throughout the most and at the end, Ethan was kicking and a few scouts hung around, including like Dallas Cowboys scout and Chicago Bears scout that stayed for him. So overall, most scouts were pretty much taking everyone seriously until toward the end and some of them took off to go down to Charlottesville, but you know. For the most part, it was a good day. Yeah, San Diego things a little bit interesting, I guess, if they're looking that closely at Cole. Just if you think back to um, Kirsten Nettie's, you know, mentorship of Philip Rivers when he was in college, who obviously you know had a long, long career at San Diego. I mean, staffs and everything turns over a lot, but that's just you know kind of an interesting connection there. If they're um, if, if they are showing that much interest in Cole Johnson, um, yeah, let's start with Cole. Like you watched him. Watched him play the season. You um, saw him at pro day. First off, I guess just anything that he did today that stood out to you. Obviously, you're not a professional football <laughs> scout, and you know even even those guys seem to have a hard time at times figuring out who's who's got a real NFL future. But what did you see from him today, and you know what, what's the outlook look like for him as he you know hopes to get drafted, and if that doesn't happen, you know hopes to sign on somewhere. Yeah, I mean, so he did. A uh, scripted workout like everyone normally does as a quarterback, but he had um, Dylan Riley, Riley Stapleton kind of receiving for him. 
Um, they came in and had their own pro day after theirs in 2020 got canceled. But overall, I mean, he looked good. He did a lot of different things that you, he didn't do at JMU, like a lot of stuff that he acted like to be under center to show scouts his footwork there because JMU doesn't really operate under center too often. And he showed really dynamic range of, of short passes, deep passes, different things. So he mixed it up, did a great job after Tino Sinceri talked to us, and he was really happy with how Cole did. I mean, sometimes you see a quarterback throw, you're like, looks great. Could have been terrible, though, right? And everyone that we talked to and we saw, Cole was happy with it, Tino was happy with it. The scouts looked to be kind of happy with it the same way. So overall, it wasn't like Cole was overthrowing anybody. There were a few balls hit the ground, but some of it was just a drop here or there, and and it wasn't really on Cole, but overall, I mean, I think he, he did what he wanted to do today, which was show, he talked about show the scouts that he's not as unathletic as he may appear, and, and then he put weight on. I mean, he's up to 220 pounds. He said he's put on like 10 or 15 pounds of, of muscle since since leaving JMU. So overall, probably a good showing for him just getting ready for, for the next steps. Yeah, that's interesting. Obviously, he was so precise with his passing in games, live game situations. You would expect him to, in a controlled environment like this, just you know, really be on target. Um, what, what were like his measurables and things? Like, I mean, did people seem pretty, pretty happy with you know the way he ran, what he did? Like, as far as just you know the the tangible measurable aspects of it. Yeah, I mean, he said when he was training, he ran like a four seven four eight forty, and I think he was right around there, maybe a little higher than that today. But I think his goal was to run around that time to show the scouts, like, he's not a dual-threat quarterback. He's not going to be Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes-type quarterback. But he he can he's a quarterback that can get out of the pocket and run. And, and we saw that last year at JMU a little bit. And so I think his goal today was to show the scouts. He's got some athleticism, not, you know, crazy athletic. But at the same time, he's not someone who's going to get stuck and, and can't run at all. So he did well there. He jumped pretty well um, on the vertical jump. I, he did not lift uh, due to the bench. But, you know, that's what... Most quarterbacks don't need the you don't need the bench because what's the point of that? But overall, probably a great showing from from Jamie's quarterback. Yeah, and you mentioned the Stapleton brothers were there. Were there any other alumni participating? Just because um, you know, like you mentioned, their pro days have been canceled here for like I guess two two years. There was a point in time where scouts weren't even on the road. So there's a lot of guys from the last couple of years who really didn't get the opportunity they might have before. So I didn't know. Um, how many guys maybe came back to take advantage of this? Yeah, Stapleton Brothers did pretty much the entire pro day workout, um, doing all the testing drills to, to doing the routes for Cole. But we also saw Ish Hyman came back. He All he did was run routes for Cole, but he's trying to get back in the NFL. He played with the Buccaneers a few years ago, so he's trying to get back to that level. So it was important for him to kind of get in front of scouts again. He said, I talked to him after, he didn't get any workouts last year um, from any NFL team, so he's hoping that running routes today will lead to maybe an invite to a workout or a training camp and kind of getting back to the NFL level that he was at in 2019. So three um, three guys came back to, to catch for Cole because Cole was looking for guys to, to receive, and he ended up getting three guys that did a really good job today for him and, and three guys that he's comfortable throwing to, which I think is probably the most important part of that. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about, Jamie, you guys who played this fall, uh, other than Cole Johnson, um, who else? You, you mentioned you know, a few guys on the bench and everything, but who else kind of stood out or, you know, maybe was better than you expected as far as just all the drills and everything? I mean, Liam, Liam benched really well. He benched 27 reps, which, like, I think going into it, they thought he was only going to bench 22, 23. And so 27 reps at 225 pounds, that is a great day for him. Mike Green also did well on the bench. He told me he's trying to get to 30. He fell just short of that, but still his, his was really well. 
So those two guys on the offensive and defensive line for, for JMU did really well today. Um, we just saw there was a lot of defensive backs there going through their drills. They, they looked pretty well as well. So, I mean, overall, JMU didn't have anyone really that, that performed terribly today. Um, Lorenzo Bryant got injured during the 40 and, and sat out the rest of the day. But other than that, that was the only kind of hiccup throughout the, the morning. Yeah, a lot, a lot of injury issues for him that have kind of held him back. So that's unfortunate. And it, it is interesting you talk about Liam Fornell. Um, dealt with injuries this year, too. Won't have as much tape as you know some guys who you know he's competing against for. I don't know if he's you know a draftable type of guy necessarily, but you know um, with with the success Jamie's had with some of their offensive linemen moving on to the next level, you would think you know he'd probably on some radars. But like I said, just doesn't have as much game tape this from this season as some guys. So how important was that for him to have a good showing in something like this? Even if you know we're talking about just bench pressing. I think it was a great a great showing for him. I mean, scouts were really I actually so we talked about like who is scouts paying attention to. They really want him to see him do everything, right? So he did the bench, he went into the locker room after and was I guess hanging out, kinda of getting ready for the, the vertical jump, and scouts were like, Hey, where's Liam? Like they were they were, they were well aware of, of who he is and they were they wanted to see him do everything so that he did everything and that was the thing that I thought was interesting is they, they he's on their radar for sure. And they, they definitely want to see him perform. They liked what they saw during the individual drills um, that he did with the defensive linemen, kind of went through them together um, because he's the only offensive lineman today for JMU. But overall, I mean, scouts wanted to see him perform, and I think he, he gave him a show. Was there anybody else that you noticed that they were particularly looking for or, like, you know, seemed to be? Liam was, like, the top guy that they were, like, really interested in by, like, kind of body language and things like that. Mike Green also was talking to a bunch of scouts throughout the throughout the morning. I mean, especially the Dallas Cowboys scout, you know, they've they've had success with former Jamie defensive linemen like Rondell Carter was there at one point. So I mean overall you look at it like it was a pretty good morning for Jamie football and there's a ton of people there, a ton of assistant coaches watching. Um Chris Ignetti was there. So a lot of different a lot of different things today. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, kind of a funny story about the, you know, 50-car caravan, like, moving yeah. from Bridgeforth over to um, to Centara Park, where the indoor facility is. That kind of got me thinking, like, as GMU moves up in the world when it comes to college football, they've been improving facilities all over the place. We talked last week about, you know, what's happening at the Convo and everything. They do have that, I almost would call it, like, a partial indoor facility, but it's across it's kind of like campus. Yeah, it's, it's about as far away as you can possibly be and still be on campus. It's, you know, low ceiling, um, not a full field. You got to wonder like how long it'll be before some sort of indoor facility closer to bridge force becomes something that the football program's really asking for. You know, at this point, you know, there's a lot of money being thrown around lots of different places with this athletic department, but as revenue increases and stuff going into, um, the Sunbelt and, you know, was that just anything like people kind of like, obviously it probably wasn't like a huge discussion, but like I, when you're there and you're in the process of like moving across campus like that, does that come up? Like, you know, why don't we have something closer? I mean, I, I mean, I brought that up. I was kind of like, you know, the next thing's got to be to build an indoor facility. I mean, you look at FBS programs, most of them have one. Yeah. And, and that's going to be something that Jamie is going to need because. You have Bridge Fourth, which is nice, but on a day like today where it's raining, you don't want to have to be stuck outside all all days or have to move to the half field that's there. And I mean, we saw Ethan was kicking a fifty-two yarder. They had to open the door so he could 
yeah. get his full run up in. So I mean. Not the most ideal scenario, but it, it gets the job done, and it got the job done. Too. Yeah, and you, you look at it during the season, you know, they practice their times, and they, they tend to avoid practicing there because, it's you know, you, you only, yeah, it's small. You only have a certain number of hours per week that you can actually be doing team activities, and the time it takes to bus all those guys over there eats into that, and you're not getting as much done once you get there anyway. So they've practiced, you know, in the stadium – you know, on the field, like the majority of the time, regardless of weather situations. So, yeah, that's, you know, it wasn't something necessarily planned on talking about a lot today, but the fact that that kind of like was part of the whole pro day experience makes you wonder how high on the list that is as far as facilities go. And then beyond that, like, where would it go over there on that part of campus? Yeah, that's the question that we, we asked when we were talking about it. We're like, well, if you look around, there's really no place for it over there. So, yeah. I mean, especially when they talk about there's not really any – they're moving a lot of the athletics out of Godwin Hall, but there's no real plan to, you know – You could put it there. Re- remove that building. Yeah, so it's like, you know, where would it go necessarily? Um, you know, there, there's stuff that's a little bit closer over, you know, near Veterans Memorial Park or, you know, the old baseball facility, stuff like that maybe is a possibility, I would think. But um, – yeah, putting it right next to the stadium, like you would see at a lot of programs, that's going to be tough just based on the, uh, you know, Jamie wasn't built for this. Like back when it was a uh, female female teacher's college, you know, way back when, this wasn't necessarily on anybody's mind that there would be a gigantic football stadium right there in the middle of campus, or, you know, in the old part of campus the way it is. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be something that they'll have to figure out. But I definitely think, though, they... It's on the radar, I, I would say. It's got to be on the radar because, not just because of today, but you, you look at the FBS and you want to be competitive and you want to have the facilities to kind of land these recruits. And if you don't have an indoor facility, some of these recruits might just be like, you know, this same thing when you look at basketball. Like some some Division One basketball programs have devoted practice facilities for that reason in recruiting. Yeah. So I think it's going to be a similar a similar step that the Jamie's going to have to take with football. Yeah, and the practice gym and the training facilities and everything at AUBC was – as big a part of building that facility as anything. That was, you know, something they were as excited about as, you know, the players and coaches and the recruits, they don't care that much that there's like a nice club area for all the donors, you know, courtside and everything. That's you know, it's cool, but it's not something that affects their day to day too much. These are the kind of, you know, facility improvements that I think as far as JMU really wanting to compete, not just on a revenue s- standpoint, but from a recruiting standpoint as they move up. That's something you know it'll be really interesting to see where they go. Uh, along those lines um so i guess we, we can move on from pro day itself which was kind of kind of a little bit the beginning of spring football for jmu i say kicked it off but tomorrow on thursday it is for real spring football practice is here um and it is the really beginning stages of the preparation for a much bigger challenge for this program you know they, they will play Norfolk State early in the season, but they're, you know, you're not you're not opening with a Moorhead State and a series of FCS pushovers. Campbell's not coming to open the season. Yeah, and um, you know, you, you jump right into it with Middle Tennessee State coming to Bridgeforth. So, is this is this the biggest spring JMU's ever had from a football perspective? It could be. I mean, people, the the anticipation around this coming season is is definitely going to be the highest that it's ever been. And, 
And this is definitely a point to where we kick off, right, the FBS season, this being the first set of practices, then they'll, they'll stop and then go resume again in the summertime. And so I think that overall, especially as we get closer to the spring game in April, I think, I think that's when you'll probably see a big, a big anticipation for this just because that's when fans will be allowed to come and watch and, and see this new team out there in the field. And, of course, we'll have a new quarterback, and I think that's probably going to be one of the biggest things to look for uh, this spring is, is the quarterback situation. Yeah, I mean, that's the other, like, real aspect about this spring. I don't I think everybody feels like overall JMU has the talent and the depth to be competitive, even moving up to the Sun Belt, which is going to be, you know, Sun Belt East, we've talked over and over again about that's going to be as good a group of five division as maybe we've ever seen. Um, so, you know, that part is interesting. The talent, the overall talent's there, but there are some questions. Like, you know, I'm sitting here before we start recording trying to figure out where to even begin writing a preview for the special teams groups and it's just like you know it's all new faces and we don't until we actually see them start to play we don't know exactly where and what people are going to be asked to do I mean, quarterbacks another situation like that they're you know even a lot of groups where they've got studs coming back there's questions about you know depth and who's going to step in so there's a lot of things to really be on the lookout for this spring we could start with quarterback like you said that because that's you know, it's always the number it's the one. It's always the number one topic, no matter what's going on with any football team. Um, so, what what are you most interested in seeing? I think you know we all are very curious about you know what Todd Santeo will bring to the table. Uh, what are you most interested in seeing for the whole group of quarterbacks? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of quarterbacks there, and you you had some leave. They brought in Todd Santeo, the highlight the highlight of the new class coming in, but you also have. Alonzo Barnett, a freshman that apparently I've, I've heard that some some of the JMU coaches are in love with, and, and he's been compared to Russell Wilson. So I don't know if we'll see him this year, but I definitely think if, if he doesn't, I mean, I don't think we'll see him this year, but in the future years, you think he, he could be the guy for JMU, and I think that this is going to be a good stepping stone for him is, you know, coming and learning the offense and, and seeing how JMU really wants to perform. But JMU, speaking of like a Russell Wilson type quarterback that can get mobile, it's a new quarterback. For JMU, right? You had Cole Johnson, Ben DiNucci, Ryan Shore, all quarterbacks, more more pocket passing guys, and they can get mobile, but not it's not really their their style of play. And now you have Tatsun Teo, who who ran for almost 500 yards at Colorado State. You've got Alonzo Barnett, who can run. So I mean, that's probably the the biggest thing to look at for a quarterback is kind of a new style quarterback for JMU and, and seeing what this can do. Yeah, do you expect to just see a different style of offense? with that in that ability plus the fact they've got so much depth at running back i mean the running back depth is insane i mean i wrote the preview earlier in the week about it it's crazy to think how successful the running backs were last year and they were without some of their top guys so you got percy back you've got kaylin black <laughs> then you've got latrell palmer you've got solomon van Hoor. so they're really deep at running back so you could see a really running centric offense yeah you mean you talk about running backs latrell was he played hurt last year I mean, yeah. he played, I think, in almost every game, but he, he was yards. he was not 100%. Yeah, it was 1,000 yards, and he'll he'll go into this, I think, number three yeah. on the depth chart, probably. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's you know kind of insane to, you know, look at that when, you know, he's really a 1,000-yard guy when healthy, and, you know, how, how many carries is he going to get this year if everybody else is healthy because it, it it's loaded and you look at um, – you know, A.J. Davis coming in and just, you know, everything they've got coming back. Um, talked about Solomon Van Horse a little bit, you know, talk about him a little bit more on special teams, you know, because he's 
really like the only only established guy in the special teams coming back as far as you know the returners and specialists and everything uh did a good job of kick returns last year um you know he's a guy who's number two co-number one on the depth chart for most of the season as a running back and you know he third fourth on the depth chart now it's, I mean, it's really be like fifth on yeah the depth it's chart. i mean because they brought in as you said aj davis from Pitt, who who kind of had an up and down year, career there but he's gonna be a guy that's gonna have an opportunity to crack into that rotation i think running backs we're gonna see a lot of them this year i definitely think solomon horse might see more time on special teams just being that proven returner um than in the backfield but you know if injuries happen again at least jamie knows they're comfortable with their first what five backs now and i don't think a lot of teams in the country will say that they're comfortable with backs one through five getting the job done yeah i'm really interested to see aj davis um just because you know we know we know a lot of what jmu has at running back i'm really interested to see he was productive at Pitt. you know he said a little up and down his playing time fluctuated and everything but if you just look at like what he was coming out of high school he would be one of the most highly recruited players JMU's ever had on this campus. I mean, it's ESPN top 100 recruit, all, all under Armour All American. He had Power Five offers from a lot of different places. Out, he came out of Florida, led his high school team in rushing yards all four years. The first running back to do it there. So I mean, he's a talented running back, and I mean, he's got his final year of eligibility this year. He has the potential to really, to really be a star in the backfield for JMU. Even though, Jamie, you're probably going to, as I said, rotate these backs. They've got a lot of good ones. So it will be interesting to see how kind of Chris Ignetti and the offense really go for it. Yeah, and we haven't even mentioned really Percy Obese because, you know, I guess you don't really have to even mention it. He kind of goes without saying that he's probably the number one guy when he comes back yeah. just with everything he's been able to do at JMU. Um, so he came back kind of to, to elevate his, his NFL stock yeah and uh i guess you know that's one thing when we watch that group in the spring is just paying attention to how healthy how you know shifty everything he looks coming back from injury that really kept him out pretty much all the last year yeah um so what else stands out to you as this is what i've got to see this is what i need to find out about this team as we look into the spring i think the other part is is how does jmu replace antoine wills because they brought in two transfer receivers um, with Terrence Green and Kobe White. And I think that's really the, the other part of this is, like, Antoine Wells being a top receiver who leaves, goes to South Carolina now playing down there in the SEC. So they brought in two guys, Power 5 transfers, both grad transfers. Um, so it really, that's the other thing I'll keep an eye on is, you know, how productive are the receivers? You know what you've got in Chris Thornton now. It's kind of you're looking for that, that guy to put on the other side of him. Yeah, and I look at the receiver group and I see, like, lots of guys who can play. I mean, you can go back to... Um, you know, Devin Ravenel, who made big plays in the playoffs and really wasn't even, you know, one of the main guys throughout the season so fast, you know, a guy who could really make a difference. So you've got, you know, a good three, four, five guys who can really make plays for you. But then we're also talking about the possibility of this offense, you know, shifting gears a little bit where they were throwing the ball so much last year with Cole uh, and an injured running back thing. Now they've got, you know, running quarterbacks who can run, they've got, you know all kinds of running backs maybe having that you know super dynamic you know Antoine Wells type of receiver maybe it's not quite as important with the group this year just based on the overall personnel but it will be interesting to see if anybody um really does step up I, I mean I could see either of those transfers I could see Chris Thornton you know kind of turn into a you know real star 
um, in the offense. But it, it will be interesting to see if anybody like really shines and we come out of spring thinking like, okay, yeah, <laughs> Antoine, who like <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, I think we'll we'll have a good understanding a month from now, and we'll we'll have a better understanding of what this offense looks like after seeing it, especially on the, in the spring game. But I think this spring will be something that'll be fun to watch, and we'll definitely have at least one of us there probably every practice so we'll, we'll definitely know what this team looks like uh by the end of april we'll, we'll have a better understanding of what this approach will look like with this this offense having a talented backfield and then you also have got talented receivers yeah defense side of the ball who who are you kind of looking at as somebody that you're particularly curious and it's another area where <clears throat> no surprise there's you know transfers in the mix there's you know people who are you know going to be important to have experience elsewhere that are coming in are going to be important players for JMU. So, like, who really kind of stands out to you that you're curious to see that you haven't seen as much of so far? Yeah, two spots. It's really where they got transfers coming in for it. You know, you look in the secondary, they lost a lot of their secondary from last year, so they have to replace that big question mark. And then you also look at Jamari Edwards, a guy that came from Marshall who was one of the top defensive ends, defensive linemen in the country, right? He was on all these watch lists preseason had a pretty good year last year, tried the transfer to Power 5, didn't work out, came to JMU, really bolstering that defensive line. So those are two spots on the defensive side of the ball that, I'm, that are going to be interesting to watch, especially that secondary. I mean, I think they only returned one or two of their, their starting DBs from the North Dakota State game, so that'll that'll be interesting. Yeah, and, you know, Jamari Edwards is somebody that I'm really curious about just because, you know, you look at the defensive line is pretty stacked, and the interior defensive line has got a ton of guys on the roster um, and he was playing a lot of defensive tackle for Marshall last year. He was recruited mainly out of high school as a defensive end. He still got that speed, and you know I think they could use a little more depth at defensive end. I'll be interested to see if he's a guy they move around a lot because I mean I think he's here to be a defensive tackle. I don't know that for one hundred percent sure, um, and I think he could like really do a good job there. But you look at you know you throw a guy with that kind of size who also pretty darn fast and maybe throw him a defensive end every once in a while like you know spell spell a few of those guys that are going to play a lot of snaps um i think it's you know kind of a different kind of weapon they haven't had a lot of because they've been a little bit undersized you know when you look at their linebackers or defensive linemen at different spots um to have a guy who combines the size and speed like that maybe possibly takes them to a different level as far as you know their pass rush and everything no, yeah, I think for sure. If you take a guy that size, put him on the end, and let him let him go after the quarterback, I think he'll find his way in the backfield. And, I mean, when you look at it, they got to replace, replace a big piece with Mike Green just on the defensive line in general. And I think it's it's going to be – I think they'll be able to do it, as you talked about them being deep at that position. But Jamari Edwards definitely a guy to keep your eye on and seeing really how this defense, especially with Brian Haynes, you know, first season as the defensive coordinator, being the co-defensive coordinator – in the past, I think we'll see how he utilizes this defensive line and, and sees how he can get the most out of it. Yeah, and as far as defensive ends and defensive linemen go, too, another guy, Mikhail Kamara. I wrote a little bit about him. Just um, missed off last year with an injury, but was at the very least a part-time starter in that spring season of 2020-2021, uh, you know, however you want to label that weird spring season they played. Um, Started start several games there. He seems like a guy who probably worth watching here just because you know starting experience but maybe kind of got forgotten about a little bit because he didn't play at all last year um possibility to really make an impact with you know playing time up for grabs really 
and, you know, some of the spots. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the spots, I think, will they'll be earned, right, in this spring, and, and that's where we'll see this depth chart kind of shake itself out. But I definitely think he may have been forgotten about by the fans, but I don't think Brian Haynes and, and the defensive staff have forgotten <laughs> yeah. about him. Yeah, and so you're, um, you've also written about, you know, the uh, incoming DBs, the, the transfer guys. What, what do we expect from from them, I mean, Jarius Remini, probably a guy that's that's gonna have an opportunity to start this year for JMU. His last year in college, he came from Arkansas State, so he's played at the Sun Belt level. He knows what these what it takes to to play at that level. Obviously, Arkansas State hadn't really been good last year, but he's a guy he's really talented, really smart on and off the field defensive back, and I think he's a guy. And then you've got Devin Coles, came from Norfolk State. I think he'll try to work his way in. In up the depth chart and kind of might see some playing time. I don't think he, I, I don't think he'll start per se, but I definitely think he'll find his way on the field. Yeah. Um, outside of those guys, we talked to the transfers, everything defensively. What are you looking for? Anything that just is you know big question mark for you on the defensive side of the ball? I mean, the defense normally for JMU, you know, it's, it's one of its strengths, and I think that. The, the biggest question mark probably is we're not going to see it until the fall, but it's kind of how does this defense stack up against FBS competition every week? And I think that's really the question we talk about with, with the offense playing these FBS defenses. But really, I'm curious to see how this defense can, can fare against these better opponents every week rather than playing Norfolk State and, and you know Delaware and things like that every week. Now you're playing some teams that have NFL talent and a lot of NFL talent on some of these teams. So... That's the biggest the biggest thing I want to see is how does this defense really stack up with an FBS offense and can they make the adjustments that are needed to to kind of stay at that that high level of play that JMU is accustomed to on the defensive side. Yeah, and I guess one you know big thing we haven't really talked about is you know defensive coordinator Corey Heatherman he's going on to take a assistant job at Rutgers so it's you know Brian Haynes defense now I, but I don't expect a whole lot to change just no. you know from listening to him talk. Um, but you know, probably worth mentioning that there, you know, is a change there at the top of the defense coordinator situation. Um, so, like I said, I don't expect a whole lot to change, and you seem to agree. Like you know, I mean, just philosophy wise, it's not going to be much different. No, he was he's been the co-defensive coordinator while he's been here as well, and staff is. I think he's been the linebackers coach as well. So I mean, he he's he's a guy who's already been in, involved in his conversations. So now just getting the full role. Little couple things change probably for himself, but other than that, I mean, he's, he's not like fresh, fresh at being a coordinator, and so I think he he's up to the task, and I think that Chris Signetti thinks he's ready for the for the full time job, and he's he's a full time defensive coordinator now, and I think he'll do a pretty good job of keeping the philosophy and things that Jamie Football is, has been accustomed to the last few years. All right, yeah. Let's shift it before we before we wrap it up. Let's shift it to special teams because. Um, that is a that's a yeah, that's kind of the, that's mis- like, that's the, mystery. the mystery yeah like I don't even know quite where to begin because we're talking about you know Harry O'Kelly's gone we're talking about Ethan Rack he's gone you know even though we didn't mention him much in the pro day but uh you know he he's Kick. yeah he was there you know kicking from outside to the inside absolutely <laughs> yeah, kind of have to get that video up but yeah it's a uh, interesting situation but two guys who were so so reliable for so long not there. The guys who snap it to them and hold it for them, not there. Um, Going to be looking for a new punt returner. There's just a lot when it comes to special teams that, like, we don't know. And how much special teams we get to see in practices this spring, I don't know. But um, very curious just to see who looks like they're going to be starting in those roles. And, um, you know, 
returning punts, doing a lot of those kinds of things. Because right now it's it's really just like I'm going to write a preview for the paper about what's there, but it's really just a guess right now until we really see them get out there and get on the field. No, I think it's going to be it's a big question mark, and, and they've got guys that have been around and, and at kicker and, and punter, and I think that they brought it. That they'll find someone that works, and I think that you know maybe during spring practice we might not see a bunch of it, but if we, if we see it on the field, we might have to swallow our eyes from the offense and defense and try to find the, the punters and kickers working out. But I don't really know how that goes, and and kind of working on a depth chart with punters and kickers, but. Yeah, definitely an open tryout there. I'm, I'm like not open trial, but I think there's an open competition for those two starting jobs, and or three, I guess, if you want to say. Jamie tends to have a kickoff kicker and a place kicker, so we'll see um, on what Jamie tends what they go for. But yeah, I think there will be possibly a fan favorite in the race, at least for punter, um, when it comes to Hugo Nash, who's oh. got an awesome name. He's another Australian coming in to replace fellow Australian. Uh, Harry O'Kelly. I, and his, um, his, I'm pretty sure it's headshots. Yes, like you can yes. describe this better than like Australian punter. Yeah. Um, so he he might already be the fan favorite for his job. I haven't seen him you know, do it at all. But you know, uh, I believe he works with the same guy who's worked with Harry. Yeah, um, so you know, be interesting. I mean, I don't know how much how many of these you know. There's probably preseason pre spring podcasts going on for almost every. Um, you know, major FBS team right now. <laughs> I don't know how many of them are going to be talking about their punter quite as much as we are and the job for punter. But you know, I think, yeah, people are going to be pulling for Hugo Nash. I think just because uh, before they even see him play, I think he's he's the one the fans are going to be pretty curious about. Yeah, you know, I gotta look into this later. Maybe later in the spring or in the fall when we know who the punter is. But Australian punters, there's something about them because. Let's think about this. JMU's going from Harry O'Kelly, an Australian punter, to Hugo Nash, maybe, an Australian punter. Well, the Sun Belt had a lot of Australian punters last season. I think over half the half the Sun Belt team's punter hailed from Australia, including Texas State with Harry's brother. So something about the Sun Belt and Australian kicker, well, really it's college football in general with a lot of Australian punters. And I think that, you know, something to look into. Yeah, I mean... I don't. I don't know exactly what it is about Australia. We can ask gotta, you know, gotta, Hugo when we get there. But um, you know, obviously, you know, Australian rules football is different, and there's you know the running, and there's you know the rugby aspect of it. Um, people play foot or people play soccer all over the world, and you know, so it's not not unusual at all to see you know foreign guys yeah. in the kicker kicker spots. But it is you know really kind of fascinating how common it's become to see the the. Australian punters and to see you know back to back at JMU and like you said like you said Harry's brother is in the same conference it's it, it is you know pretty crazy outside of that I you know just kind of you know curious to see what happens in the return game they've been solid there uh, but they're gonna have to find somebody to return punts um, you know maybe it's somebody like you know wide receiver Terrence Green we talked about did a little bit of that at Monmouth with some success uh, Solomon Van Horse is back. Um, after doing a good job with kick returns last year, I would expect that's, you know, still his job, you know, especially considering the fact, like, there might not just be as many carries for him. Yeah. Otherwise, it's a way to get the ball in his hands um, as a talented guy and, you know, not have to put somebody. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you know, you can't afford to lose back there. Yeah, you're not risking um, injury at that Yeah, point. and, you know, wonder, you know, you don't see running backs necessarily returning punts very often, but as deep as they are at that spot, 
you know, do they get those guys involved in the return game even more, um, especially the kickoff returns? It'll be, it'll be interesting to see kind of, you know, where they go with all that because, um, yeah, I mean, just like the whole special teams, it's a big question mark. Outside of Solomon, like, who did a really good job and was back, and, um, but, you know, people might start kicking away from him after he took one to the house, you know, there late in the season. Um, it's, yeah, the return game on top of all the kicking, special teams is so important, often overlooked, not by coaches necessarily, but, like, for, you know, you could do an offensive, defensive preview and not hardly mention special teams, but it's a big, big question mark for Jamie going in where, you know, their margin for error is so much smaller than it has been in recent years. They really can't afford to, you know, be giving the ball away in special team situations or to leaving points on the field like they really, outside of the Villanova game last year, have not done for a long time. Yeah, I think that Jamie fans might might take it for granted how good Ethan Racky was. I mean, leading the NCAA in career field goal makes most points by a kicker. I mean, outside of that Villanova game, he's on that. I mean, he missed two in one game, and that's, you know, that's that's all crazy for him. And then if you look at that game, if he makes them, and then Jamie is a one seed in the playoff, and, you know, it could be a totally different uh, dynamic. But, yeah, I think that's the thing that Jamie fans might need to, to, to keep an eye on, you know, because Kicker's just been so good here with Ethan Ratke, and, and I think that that is something that Jamie's coaching staff is going to want to continue, right, having a, a solid, reliable kicker that... Ethan didn't have the leg, but if you got down there, he's going to give you points. And I think that is what Jamie's going to want out of their next kicker. Is you don't have to be able to kick a 60-yard field goal, but if you can kick 90% of them through the uprights, I think they're going to take it. Yeah, and it's, it's probably, you know, it's not lost on everybody, but it's probably overlooked to some degree how much pressure those guys took off both the offensive and the defensive units because, you know, so often the other team's starting with their back against their own end zone because of Harry so often, you know, the offense could stall a little bit, but still get some points because of Ethan. Because if you got, you know, <clears throat> if you gained any yards at all, you were yeah. getting to the point where, you know, you, you might have a chance with him, you know, putting some points on the board for you because he was so automatic. That takes a lot of pressure off, you know, both of those units. And, you know, it could be it could be an issue going forward. Just, you know, that. There's not the same kind of margin for error, like we said, um, for both sides of the ball. Um, so looking forward, looking at spring, just, you know, we covered offense, covered defense, covered special teams, even covered coaching changes a little bit. <laughs> anything else, anything else that, you know, is just like, here's what I want to see in the spring. Do you want to see, like, I mean – I don't know. You get at this as much as I do. Like if they've uh, taken CA logos off the field yet. Uh, I mean, that's I even something. Today, that's even something you look. can look at. Um, I was there today and I forgot to look. Yeah. So I guess yeah. Maybe that. Maybe that's it. Maybe that is the last one thing maybe to to look Sun for. Stickers on the back of the to helmet. look for is when the CA logos come off and the Sunbelt logos go on, um, because you know they are they're done with CA football wise. Football is done. I mean, almost every sport's done. I mean, we're yeah. almost to the point where every sport's done. So, well, if they see, you got to keep us up posted if the AUBC when they're changing the uh, the logos there. Yeah, there's supposed to be some people let me know if things happen, but uh, we'll see if they remember. Shane wants to be there when they <laughs> tear it up. Yeah, I don't know. 
sand, sanding the floor might not be all that interesting, actually. <laughs> but like, like, you know, you could do a video of them lowering the flag with the CAA teams and stuff. Like, you know, it don't have to get too sidetracked too much, but you know, it was really funny when you walked into the AUBC the first time after they moved in there and um, all they had was a tiny little flag that listed all the CAA schools and all the banners said conference championships, not CAA championships. <laughs> and, you know, a big, a big change from the uh, convo. And it, it was just like, you know, yeah, if you're paying attention, you can tell what the intention <laughs> here is. <laughs> that they're not, not planning on keeping the uh, CAA stuff in here very long. Um, but, you know, sidetracked a little bit there. Um, I think it is probably time to wrap it up because I think we've, you know, hit on just about everything football-wise as, you know, this is our spring preview if you got anything else you want to add noah no i think we're ready to um see some football is being thrown on bridgeforth again and uh we'll see that tomorrow all right so yeah we'll be out to uh see some practices here in the next week and you know have a lot more to talk about when we come back uh next wednesday and uh, i'm shane metlin we're here with noah fleischman this has been the uh, purple and bold podcast thank you for listening <laughs>